Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. For, uh, for those of you who, who, who know Jody and me well, you know that Jody is a, a fabulous cook. And, uh, uh, and she loves kitchen gadgets. And we've got a plethora of kitchen of kitchen gadgets. I mean, she's got the bread maker, and she's got the, uh, uh, the, the heavy-duty mixer. Uh, what's it? What, I can't even... KitchenAid, yeah. We've got the, the stand-up KitchenAid mixer. We've got the, we've got the Vitamix. We've got, a, we've got a rice cooker. She has a, 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 a crumb, crumb cooker pan. I mean, just the stuff that she's got is just staggering. Uh, uh, and we, fortunately, we're running out of counter space. Uh, but one, one of the things that she doesn't have that we were introduced to when uh, our, our son, son-in-law and, and daughter, when Heidi and Louie were staying with us during COVID, uh, they brought into the house an Instapot. How many of you have Instapots? We have, look at that. All right, yeah. I mean, it is a pressure cooker and it is a slow cooker. It is a steamer and it is a rice cooker. I mean, this, this thing, you throw it in there and oh, Louis makes this garlic chicken in the, in the Instapot that is just amazing. Um, so, but we're not going to get one. No, I'm not going to get one because we don't have enough counter space. But that's another, that's another story. But I have to chuckle because insta, 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 we want everything and we want it now. We're in an instant society and we have to wait for anything. We become so impatient. And we see it, don't we? I mean, when we get to the point where, where you can't bother to cook bacon, you got to get pre-cooked bacon and, and now you can buy pre-cooked bacon that's not even in the refrigerated section. I don't even want to know. But we're, we're so impatient because we want what we want when we want it. And that's usually right now. What are some things that make us impatient? Traffic. Traffic. Absolutely. Road rage. Children, yeah, parents, yeah, parents, parents can make us uh, a, little, a little anxious, long lines, oh, I hate waiting in lines, the DMV, actually you can make an appointment on a Saturday afternoon at the DMV in Chula Vista and not wait at all, people don't know that, it's amazing, oh, shh, don't tell anybody, <laughs> The decline of our culture. I mean, it drives us crazy. And we want to know, where is God in all of this? While we are impatiently waiting, where is God in all of this? And how should we occupy our time as we're waiting for God to do something? Well... James has some advice for us. If you have your Bibles, open them to the fifth chapter of the book of James. 
we'll be uh, we'll be looking at uh, verses seven through eleven. And James, remember, I'm going to keep telling you this because it's important for us to remember that James really is our midterm exams. We're not there at the final exam yet, which means that we can study, we can learn what we're doing right and celebrate. Yay, got that question right. And the ones that we miss, we can revisit and say, okay, am I truly being uh, a doer of the word as well as a hearer of the word? Am I looking for that wisdom that comes from above and not being swayed by the wisdom that comes below? And am I treating people with essential dignity, value, and worth regardless of their station in life? Regardless of where we encounter them, recognizing that every single human being we encounter is created in God's image and is worthy of respect and dignity for that reason alone, if not others. And certainly there are other reasons. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to suggest that, uh, that there are not other reasons. Last week, whew, last week were, were some tough verses. Uh, you know, when, when uh, he charges out into that, uh, into that, fifth, uh, into that fifth, or fifth chapter, uh, kind of uh, challenging the, the wealthy of the world. And again, it's not, it's not that wealth in and of itself is an inherently uh, evil thing. Uh, uh, money is not the root of all evil. There was a song when I was a kid, and money is the root of all evil. And it's not. That's a misquote from the Bible. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not our wealth. It's what we do with our wealth. And there are, there are a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, their philosophy in life is to get all you can, can all you get, sit on that can, poison the rest. If I can't have it, neither can you. And so uh, now, now James wants to, he, he wants to uh, comfort and console those who are, are feeling the oppression of, of society, of the, of the culture, uh, uh, and, and, and he wants to encourage them, encourage us. So we pick up the narrative, fifth chapter, verse 7. Be patient. Oh. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the, Lord com- and, and, until the Lord's coming. You see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient the farmer is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what God finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and Mercy. Be patient. That's it. Be patient. How do we be patient in an instant society? 
And, and, and what does it actually mean for us to be patient? Do you have a working definition of patience? What does it look like for you to be patient? Yesterday in the Bagel Boys, John Mosier says that patience that just kind of rolls off the tongue would be delayed gratification. And, and I, think, I, think that there's, I think that there's something to that. Uh, I, I have a, I can't draw, uh, but I have a, a, a cartoon in my mind. Uh, have you seen my, my impersonation of, uh, of a day at Disneyland? I'm going to show you. This is my impersonation of a day at Disneyland. You ready? Here we go. That's, that's my, because you, you spend all day waiting in line. And, and so my idea for a cartoon are, are two young people, uh, two young people standing, at li- standing in line at Disneyland, and one says to the other, who says our generation doesn't understand delayed gratification? <laughs> waiting. Patiently. Patience to me, is understanding that even when we can't see something going on, there still is something going on. To be patient is to recognize the sovereignty of God, to recognize that God is at work, to remember that God does have a plan, and that plan is unfolding. And our challenge is to acknowledge that. God, I know that you are at work. I know you're doing something. I can't see it, but I'm all right with that. I can't see it. I want to be all right with that. So help me, Lord, to remember constantly that what I perceive as a delay in your action is a call for me to wait because you are at work. Never forget that God is at work. And never forget that nothing takes God by surprise. Whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Happens to me all the time. Never happens to God. Being patient is recognizing and realizing that that God is sovereign and that he is at work. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. A little, little later on, uh, uh, he says um, that the Lord's coming is near. Be patient because, and, and, and wait until the Lord's coming, and the Lord's coming is near. This was written, what, some 2,000 years ago? How, how, does, that, how does that square? Uh, and, and what are we waiting for? Do you know that there are people, and we talk about the second coming, and when we get into Advent, which is just, ar- just around the corner, uh, the theme of Advent leading up to Christmas is remembering the promise of God to come not once but twice. You know, Christmas, we celebrate the Advent of the Christ child the first coming of the Lord. 
But the season that leads up to Christmas, uh, the season of Advent, is while we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Savior, we remember the promise of his return. Uh, there's this the, there's this great scene uh, in the uh, in the opening chapter of the book of Acts where uh, the, the disciples are gathered around Jesus and they're going now is it now is it now are you going to establish your kingdom now and he goes you know what it, it, I don't know I don't know Jesus says only the Father knows uh, but but you you will receive power from on high, and you will be my witnesses here in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the rest of the world. And then while they're, while they're sitting there, all of a sudden, Jesus levitates in their midst, and he rises up into the sky, into the clouds. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces as they're watching this? I mean, jaws dropping. And he's taken out of their sight. Now, remember, before that, 40 days between this time and the resurrection. And, and during that 40 days, Jesus, he, he kind of he popped in, in and out of places, you know, kind of like David Copperfield. You know, one minute he's there, next minute he's gone, next minute he's there, in, in through locked doors, behind, I, I, you know, it's like, so, but there's this dramatic exit. And okay. And then the angels say, hey, 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 what are you guys looking at? The same way you saw him go, he's going to return. And so we're waiting for that. Uh, it, it's, there's, there's narratives of the, in the first century of shepherds moving their sheep through the fields and then just pausing and looking up, hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus coming back. So James says, now, be patient uh, until the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming is near. And we're 2,000 years down the line. How patient do we need to be, Lord? Perspective. It's about perspective. If you were, if you were to uh, uh, move over to uh, uh, 2 Peter, listen to what 2 Peter says in the, in, the final, in the final chapter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years. And a thousand years is like a day. This is 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. One day is a thousand years, which means as far as the Lord is concerned, the resurrection happened just a couple of days ago. You've heard the story. I've told it to you before. The guy asks the Lord. He says, the Lord, what is a, what is a day to you? And the Lord says, a day is like a thousand years. And he says, Lord, what is a million dollars to you? And the Lord says, ah, it's, 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 it's like a penny. And he pauses and he says, Lord... Can I have a penny? And the Lord says, yeah, just give me a couple of days. <laughs> we, 
We get this wonderful example of the farmer. Uh, uh, the, the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. How patient the farmer is for the autumn and the spring rains. My grandfather was a farmer. He grew cotton. Uh, uh, but, but he also had vegetables and stuff like that because it was a self-sustaining uh, self farm. Uh, and he knew more about the weather than anybody that I knew. And he was a Scot, which meant that after the combines went through and picked the cotton, we had to go in and get what was left over because you don't leave anything behind. And he, have you, any of you ever picked cotton? It's, t oh, yeah, yeah, bloody fingers, huh? So the bulb, uh, the, the, the husk, on the outside of the cotton ball is really hard, like a, like a ping pong ball hard. And, and it, when, it, when it opens, uh, at, the, at the end of each one of those little petals are sharp thorns. So when you reach in to grab the little bit of cotton that's left over, it pokes your fingers and it's, but you couldn't leave anything behind. But farmers understand this, this, this whole process, they, they, they plant and there's a miracle that takes place. I, let's just get that out of the way. And we don't understand it. We see it happening. And oh, yeah, science, science they, they, they categorize it. You, you know, you take the seed and you germinate it and, and, and you plant it in the ground and, and it sends out a root and, and it, can, it continues to grow and pretty soon it pokes through the, uh, through the surface and it ultimately yields its crop. That's miraculous. And if you've ever held a little seed in your hand and just looked at it, uh, uh, an acorn, and think, oh, my gosh, there's, a, there's an oak tree inside this small acorn. That is, growth is supernatural. It, it, we, it happens. We witness it. We've become so desensitized to it that we don't think about it anymore. But it's a miracle, uh, and I'm grateful for it. The farmers understand this. The farmers do what they can do, and then they leave the miracle to God. Or if they're an atheist farmer, they leave the miracle to whoever. Interestingly enough, there's more and more stuff coming out these days about uh, how atheists need faith as well, and that everybody operates on a premise of faith. Everyone operates on a premise of faith. But the farmer, the farmer does what the farmer can do, and then patiently waits patiently waits for the, for the autumn and the spring rains because without the rain, the crop is going to be deficient. But lest we think that the farmer does nothing, you know, we're going to go plant the seeds and then we're going to kick back and, uh, uh, and, and watch TV and eat bonbons and, and wait for the rain to come and, and wait for the, uh, for the harvest to come. Then we go back to work. No. I mean, the farmer, once they plant that field, they're out there every single day. There's only so much nutrients in the soil. And if they're weeds, the weeds are sucking up those nutrients that aren't going into the crop. So they're constantly going through and they're pulling out weeds. They're constantly making sure that the plants have enough space. They're constantly monitoring the growth. They're pruning. They're shaping so that they can get the maximum yield. Yes, they are patient, but they don't sit there and do nothing. So when James tells us to be patient like the farmer, he's not telling us to just sit back and do nothing. Okay, God's in charge. God's sovereign. So I'm just going to get a book and go over in the corner and not do anything. He's not telling us that at all. He's telling us to take a page out of the farmer's book 
and engage. And okay, so what, what, are, some, what are some things that we can do uh, in, in, in order to engage our faith while we are patiently waiting for the Lord to do whatever it is the Lord is going to do? Well, you just happen to have them in your hand, in your bulletin. There are 15 soul exercises. They're, they're not exhaustive. These have been in the bulletin every week throughout the pandemic. Before that, we put them out in little cards. And, and this is just a place to start. It's, it, it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a place to start. It is something to do. And I would encourage you every single day to do one, two, three of these soul exercises. Inevitably, inevitably, if you engage in exercising your soul, you will spiritually grow. It is inevitable. It's inevitable. But it takes a little muscle on your part. It takes some intentionality. Be patient like the farmer, but be busy while you're waiting for these things to happen. The farmer knows that they're going to happen, and you know what we know? We know what's going to happen. One of these days, Jesus is going to return. One of these days, every wrong will be righted. Every crooked path will be straightened. God will establish his eternal kingdom, and we will live with God and reign with God in eternity. I've read the end of the book. We win. You've heard me say that before. Be patient because the Lord's coming is near. And this, I think, this is where we really need to hone in on this. Do not grumble against each other. Do not grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What door are we talking about? The door to eternity. How often have I said that death is not a destination? It's a doorway. Here it is. There's the text for it. The judge is standing by the door. And the reality is, when we talk about the end times, everybody wants to know about the end times and when the end times are coming. Even though Jesus has said, I don't know, and you're not going to know either, but you've got work to do. You are my witnesses. Go be my witnesses. The reality is, and I found this fascinating. Uh, uh, in the Oxford English Dictionary, up until uh, about the 1930s, the, the definition for eschatology, big word, eschatology is the study of end times. You know, when Jesus is going to come back and all that, all that stuff. The Oxford English Dictionary defined eschatology with four words. Death, judgment, heaven, or hell. That was it. And, and the Lord's coming is only as far away as our own mortality. Now, we're all going to go through that door, and we're all going to be judged. But we have Jesus as our advocate. That doesn't mean that there are no consequences for the choices that we take, but we have Jesus for our advocate. And so when the accuser of the brothers and sisters comes along and says, God, do you know what this person did when no one was looking? This person doesn't deserve to be in your presence. This person doesn't deserve to be in heaven. Jesus stands up and says, Your Honor, they're all true. All the accusations are true. But I paid the penalty. He's one of mine. And the judge says, not guilty. That is the imputed righteousness, forensically speaking, as we talked about when we went through the book of Romans. It is a legal pronouncement. 
in God's court, our judge has said, we are not guilty. Yay, that's good news. Brothers, sisters, take as an example of patience in the face of suffering the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. What, is, what does that tell us right there? That one of the greatest challenge, challenges for us to be patient is when we are experiencing suffering. If I'm suffering, I'm a big baby. Ask my wife. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to have a cold. I don't like to be sick. And that's minor suffering. When it gets ramped up, when somebody, when, when somebody don't lie to me, don't lie about me. But when I get angry phone calls for people for things that I didn't say, I, I, it's like, I, I can get angry and impatient. So many people think that if I'm suffering, God doesn't like me. Or if I'm suffering, I'm being punished for something that I have done. Hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to that. But before we, before we move on from that, I just want to tell you that if you have ever been suffering and thought that you were being punished by God for something that you have done, I need you to look at the cross. Because either Jesus paid it all or he paid nothing. All of our sins are forgiven. All of them. They are forgiven. We are righteous in God's sight through Jesus Christ. So, something else is going on. Suffering is also a training ground for God. But I, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know, it was no fun to be a prophet. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet for a reason. Think about Jonah. I mean, Jonah... and. You know, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and tell them that in 40 days they were going to be toast. God spoke to him directly, and Jonah had other ideas. You know why Jonah had other ideas? Because the people of Nineveh were evil, and he thought it would be a good thing for God to destroy the Ninevites. And so instead of going to Nineveh, he got on a boat and he went to Joppa. And, of course, you know the story, the, 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 the storm and everything comes along, and the, they throw everything overboard, and then they finally throw Jonah overboard uh, because he admits that he's running from the Lord. Jonah didn't want to do what the Lord asked him to do. But, he, you know, when, after that whole uh, sea uh, 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 event and the fish and all that stuff, uh, he, uh, he does it. He goes to Nineveh and, and says, in 40 days, the Lord's going to wipe you out. And they all repented. And Jonah got mad. Because he knew that God was compassionate and that his heart was toward those whose hearts are toward him. He didn't want the Ninevites to repent. They did. Jonah had other ideas. But God had a plan. And I'm, and I'm not, 
I, I think it's going to be in, into eternity before we find out exactly what was going on with that and, and, and what resulted from the people of Nineveh repenting. And I, and I think about Habakkuk. Habakkuk is probably one of my favorite uh, Old Testament uh, prophets. I mean, it starts off, and you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. How long, Lord? How long must I look at, at, at the decline of my society and you do nothing? You know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing evil succeed, and I'm seeing good people crushed, and I don't understand what you're doing, Lord. Help me. I, I don't understand. And you know what God says to him? I love this. God says, hang on to your horses, kind of, sort of. He says, he says, just trust me because I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe if I told you. You wouldn't believe it. And that's where we get the phrase that the righteous live by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk, great guy, amazing. And then, he, and then uh, James goes on and he says, and, 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 and you've heard of Job, Job's perseverance. Uh, having seen what the Lord finally brought about. When was the last time you read the book of Job? Oh my gosh, as I read the book of Job, I'm I'm asking myself the question, the patience of Job, who's he patient with? It's it's actually an amazing book. Uh, And, uh, you know, all the things that happen, he, he loses everything to the point where his wife his, his wife comes to him and says, are you still holding on to your te- integrity? He's lost everything. He's lost uh, all his holdings. Uh, he's, he's lost his children. Uh, he's covered with sores. And his wife comes up to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I, Mrs. Job was suffering too. I mean, it's all about her husband at this point, but everything that Job lost, she lost. She lost all their holdings. She lost all her children. And now she's watching her husband go through incredible suffering. So I think we need to have a little bit of compassion on on Mrs. Job. But, But Job replies, yeah, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then he's got three friends Three friends that come along, and they see him, and they weep aloud. They tear their robes and throw dust on their heads, and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word for him, a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. That was the best thing those friends did for him. Never underestimate the ministry of presence. Never underestimate the ministry of presence. It's so easy. Now, in the sovereignty of God, we know that there are awful things that happen. And and, and somehow it's going to all work itself out because we believe, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called together according to his purposes. We know that. However, comma, if somebody has just lost a child, you don't go up to him and say, it was God's will. Oh my gosh, what an awful thing to say. I mean, sometimes we're well-meaning, but we can be well-meaning and put our foot in our mouth at the same time. I know I've done it often enough. I've learned, and I want you to benefit from my experience. 
We don't always have to say something. For seven days, they said nothing. There was a ministry of presence there that cannot be undervalued. You don't always have to have an answer. When they open their mouths, they're operating on a false premise. They're operating on the premise that if you are suffering, there is evil, unrighteousness, and unconfessed sin in your life, period. And Job is suffering. So what does that tell them? Well, you're, 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 you're either doing something evil, unrighteous, or there's unconfessed sin in your life. And they launch into this diatribe of saying, Job, just confess. He's got nothing to confess. And, and so I, as, as, we, as we read through the book of Job, uh, I, I find, I find after, he, after he's blasted by these friends for his unconfessed sin, that, because that obviously is the source of his suffering, he says this, he says, Oh, that I might have my, my request, that God would grant me what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand, cut me off. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain. My joy in unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. That, my friends, is the patience of Job. That he does not want to let go of his hope in God, believing, trusting that God is at work even though he cannot understand it. And, and they, but they just continue to hammer him. They hammer him. And, and he says, surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste the bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, breath in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. My tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit that you are right. I'll die and not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness. I will never let go of it. My conscience will not re- Approach me as long as I live. Boy, I tell you what, he's being very impatient with his friends. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't I just read back here uh, that, that James, what did James tell us? James tells us that, uh, oh, yeah, here it is. You too be patient and do not grumble against each other. Do not grumble against each other. Job's friends are grumbling with, each, with, with, with him, and I think that he is becoming very, very impatient with them. And then finally, you know, Job just says, I just, I want my day in court. I want to talk to God. I want, I, I want some answers here. Be careful what you ask for. He finally gets his request. Chapter 38, listen to this. How would you like to hear these words? Who is it? that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what footings were it set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted with joy? There's a plan. 
Ultimately, ultimately, God said he's angry. He's angry with, with Job because Job was angry with his friends, and he's angry with his friends. And so God says to Job, pray for your friends, and I'll forgive them. Be patient. Do not grumble against one another. I, we think we know so much. And, and, and we think that we have something to offer to God in terms of wisdom. Remember Ananias? In the, in the, in the book of Acts, I know it's 10 o'clock, and you're being very patient. Ananias, uh, uh, you know, Paul was a just, he was a, he was a mean guy and he was, he was killing Christians and throwing them up and locking them up and, uh, uh, and, and just being mean. And on his way to Damascus to be mean, he, he gets knocked off his horse and he's blind and uh, he stumbles into Damascus and the Lord tells Ananias to go uh, and lay hands on Paul so that he can see again. And Ananias says, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, Lord. There's, there's something you don't know. This, he's a bad guy. It's good that he's blind. Yeah, he's hurt your people. Can you imagine if Ananias had gotten his way, what we would have lost in the ministry of Paul? The patience of Job in light of the sovereignty of God. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. To be patient is not to be idle, but it is to understand that God's got this when we're in traffic, when we're in a line, when our kids or our parents don't do what we ask them to do, as we watch our culture deteriorate, God is still sovereign. God knows what he's doing. The seventh soul exercise is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Because hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And when we hurry, we miss the moment. And the moment is all we have. So when you find yourself beginning to be impatient, just stop and ask the Lord, what are you showing me right now? Maybe it's someone right in front of your face that needs a kind word, a prayer, or some of your strength. God is at work always until the fullness of time. May we have this patience that Job had with God and be kind and compassionate to those around us. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Homework assignment for you. 
there's no pencils. We don't put pencils in the pews anymore, right? We don't do that. Okay, I'll put this on the Word on Wednesday, but if you can write it down, if you have something to write with. Uh, a couple of psalms. You find yourself being uh, uh, frustrated, frazzled, and uh, impatient. Uh, there, there are a couple of psalms that are really worth spending some time in. Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. Those are great ones. Easy to remember. You only need to remember one and then turn it around. If you're dyslexic, doesn't matter where you go, just go to the first one and then go to the second one, because that's what I do all the time. 37, 73, two great psalms, but also Psalm 46. Psalm 46, the Lord is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And it concludes with this, be still, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's Psalm 46. So now you've got 37, 73, and 46, and one more. Hike. Yeah, 13. Psalm 13. This is a short one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing Love, My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for the Lord has been good to me. We gather to worship. And I hope that you are encouraged today and not discouraged when it, you are called upon to exercise patience, recognizing that God is sovereign, that he is at work. And as we are patient with God, engaging in reading scriptures and engaging in soul exercises and being his witness in Coronado and San Diego and California and beyond, know that the Lord is working in and through us that we might reflect his image more perfectly. He's at work. Work with him.